What's up, poker players? Get ready to give your skills a quick boost with Upswing Poker Level Up. My name is Mike Brady, and I'm joined by professional poker player and amateur footballer, Gary Blackwood. Hey guys, we've got a vital and fundamental topic prepared for you today. That topic is big blind defense. The way you approach defending your big blind is absolutely critical. And we see a ton of poker players make massive mistakes by either playing too tight, too loose, or too passive. This episode is going to help you plug any such leaks in your game. Before we get into it, we want to say a very quick thank you. We're recording this a few days after the first episode has come out, and we've been blown away by all the positivity coming our way. If you're enjoying the show, by the way, we'd really appreciate it if you tell your friends or share it on social media so we can grow this thing and keep it going for as long as possible. All right, anyway, today we're going to talk about how to adjust your big blind defense strategy versus the different positions and raise sizes you may face, including how the effective stack size plays a role. We'll cover how to build a three betting range out of the big blind. Finally, we'll wrap it up with the major adjustments you should be making when defending in multi-way pots. I think we have to kick this one off by talking about raise size considerations. Gary, how should your opponent's raise size impact your big blind defense strategy? So we actually make quite big changes to our defending range based on the size that our opponent chooses and already going off on a quick tangent here, but that actually applies to all defending scenarios in poker, like versus three bets, for example. Coming back to the big blind defense when our opponent uses a bigger bet size, say they opened at 3x instead of 2.5x, our calling range becomes narrower. The reason for this is that both our immediate and our implied odds decrease versus a larger size, and therefore we've got to tighten up a little bit. On the flip side, when our opponent uses smaller opens, like a min-raise, for example, our defending range needs to get wider as a result. Otherwise, our opponent is exploiting us and making us fold when we're getting a really good price to continue. Our ranges are not static. They change slightly from time to time based on certain factors, and the open size that our opponent chooses is definitely one of those factors. One of the bigger factors, I reckon. Another fundamental consideration is the position of the player who raised. How are you adjusting versus the different positions? So our defending range is, of course, much tighter versus an under-the-gun raise compared to a button raise. Under-the-gun should be raising around 17% of hands, and the button should be raising around 45% of hands. So if our defending range is the same versus under-the-gun as it is for the button, we're getting annihilated post-flop versus under-the-gun because our range is super wide and our opponent's range is really quite strong. So we need to be pretty tight with our defense versus EP and MP, and we get to defend much wider versus the button and the small one. So there's another really key factor that impacts big blind defense ranges, and it's one that not a lot of people think enough about, especially live players and micro stakes online players, and that factor is rake. So Gary, can you talk a little bit about how rake should impact a player's big blind defense range? Yeah, so the rake structure of the games we're playing in really does influence how much tighter we've got to play from the big blind when defending. And I'm actually going to talk about live poker for a minute here. If we're playing 510 where there's no rake, but we pay time every 30 minutes, our defending range is much wider than a 5-5 game, for example, where the casino takes a drop. This is a big leap that people have defending the big blind way too wide in high rake environments. And these marginal bottom of range calls pre-flop now become losing calls because of the rake. Not a lot of people realize this, but the rake of micro stakes games like 10NL and 25NL is ridiculously high. And our defending range is just so much tighter compared to 200NL or 500NL. So in summation, bigger raise sizes equal tighter big blind defense, early position raises force us to play a lot tighter of a range of hands than late position raises, and higher rake makes us play tighter out of the big blind. Most people listening probably already knew most of that, so I think it'd be helpful to get more specific. Let's compare a few situations and isolate some of those variables, starting with raise size. Suppose a player on the button raised to 2.5 big blinds. 
What are some of the worst hands you would defend, and how would you tighten up if the raise size was 3.5 big blinds instead of that 2.5 big blinds? So a standard defending range there in a reasonable rake environment like 200 or 500 NL will have a bunch of suited hands only really folding the trashy 8-deuce, 8-3, 7-deuce type hands, but calling the 5-deuce, 4-3 suited type hands that can flop straight draws more easily. King-6 offsuit and above, all your suited 10x and above. It's pretty wide versus a button open because obviously the button opens really wide as we've already mentioned. I think the following is really good advice. When someone opens to a larger size like that 3.5x size that Mike has mentioned, we have to trim off the bottom parts of our range, but I'd actually keep the suited hands the same and start to trim off the bottom of our unsuited hands. King-6 off, King-7 off, Ace-Deuce and Ace-3 off, all the 6-5 off, 10-8 off, Queen-8 off type hands, and just keep the suited hands that play a bit better post-flop the exact same. And the reason for that is suited hands realize their equity a lot better. In other words, they have a lot more playability post-flop. Yeah, that's exactly it. They get to realize their equity. They get to make flushes, which are, of course, very strong hands. And the offsuit hands don't flop as much equity, so they tend to struggle versus that larger race size. Yeah, those offsuit hands have a lot of trouble sometimes. All right, now let's isolate for the position of the raiser. You already talked about the worst hands you would defend versus a button 2.5x raise. How would that defense range differ versus a player seated in the hijack position instead of the button? Yeah, and it starts to get a lot tighter versus the earlier position players, even the suited hands. No more 10-4 suited, even folding some jack-4 suited type hands. But we still call all the 7-4, 8-5, all those hands that can flop a straight draw and a flush draw as well. Our offsuit hands are so much tighter here, going with king-10 off and above. No more unsuited connectors. And a huge leak that people have is that they defend hands like ace-8 offsuit and ace-4 offsuit versus earlier position opens which are unfortunately losing calls, and that's even before we factor in any form of rake. Yeah, and then to add a quick thought about rake, if you're playing micro stakes online or low stakes live, where they're sometimes taking two or three big blinds out of the pot post-flop, you got to play even significantly more tighter than what Gary just said, because when they're taking those two big blinds out of the pot, your pot odds are getting significantly worse, and you have to account for that with your pre-flop hand selection. All right, one more question about position for you. How much tighter would you play against an under-the-gun raise at a nine-handed table? Very tight. And again, really focusing on suited hands to call as opposed to these marginal unsuited hands. Think about just how tight an under-the-gun raise is at a nine-handed table. We've got to really refrain from calling too wide and stay disciplined here. Again, I'd still be calling a hand like 5-3 suited here because it's super undominated by our opponent's opening range. But a hand like Jack-10 offsuit would be a snap fold for me. I just want to quickly add that sometimes we'll be playing at a nine-handed table and there'll be a very loose player that opens under the gun, the type of player that's opening hands that he should never be opening under the gun. And when that happens, our range can be a little wider than I've just suggested. But if we're playing against an ABC type player who's opening correctly, our range is going to be really tight as mentioned. And if you're playing at a nine-handed table, there's a good chance it's because you're playing live poker, so that situation Gary just talked about isn't so uncommon. You are going to get those guys who are opening 25-30% of hands from under the gun, which is more like what you should be raising from the cutoff position. You know, when you're up against those guys, when you know what your opponent is doing, you can always adjust, so, you know, feel free to do that. In general, on this show, we talk a lot about equilibrium strategies, but... I like to stress that if you know what your opponent is doing, you can make adjustments. Just be careful to not make those adjustments too willy-nilly. That was a little bit of a tangent. Anyway, let's move on. It's time to briefly cover stack size considerations. How much are you changing your defense strategy as stack sizes decrease and increase? 
So let's talk about the stack increase first of all. A lot of people watching this might think we defend the big blind wider when we're deeper, but I actually don't get wider. Sure, our immediate odds are better, but our reversed implied odds, i.e. how much we could expect to lose in the hand, get worse, and we end up widening and weakening our range with worse reverse implied odds. So when we're deeper, my big blind defending range stays the same, and when we're shallower, it gets a little tighter, but again, only really with the offsuit hands. These suited hands play really well post-flop, so we keep these in, but versus a button open, for example, king eight offsuit and ace three offsuit go into the muck versus a 40 big blind stack size for me. Yeah, and if you want to learn a little bit more about reverse implied odds in general, or if you ever hear a term or a phrase on this show that you're not super familiar with, Go ahead and go to upswingpoker.com, check our poker glossary at the bottom of the page. There should be a big red link. Or you could just Google something like reverse implied odds upswing poker. You'll find our article about it. You can learn even more. Anyway, let's move on to three betting. Gary, can you briefly go over how to approach three betting from the big blind versus different positions and sizes? So let's talk out of position first. One big leap that people have is they don't find three bets with certain hands that should be in there that they tend to just always call with. For example, we want to be three betting hands like six, five suited and ace four suited from the big blind. And it's so tempting to just click the call button and see a flop. We need these for board coverage purposes. And we also have a lot of fold equity. And it's nice to just win the pot pre-flop with six high sometimes. So let's be sure we're finding these suited connectors, ace eight suited, queen nine suited type hands sometimes instead of just always calling them. These hands are low frequency three bets versus an EP raise. And as our opponent's range gets wider, we three-bet them more and more frequently. That reminds me of something I heard Nick Petrangelo say in his recent Smash Live Cash course on Upswing. He talked about how you should consider the offsuit combinations of hands that are in your opponent's opening range that will fold versus a three-bet, and how valuable it is to get them to fold those hands when you hold a hand that would be dominated going into the flop. So Gary just talked about three-betting those ace-eight suited, queen-nine suited, ace-four suited type hands out of the big blind, and just think how amazing it is to get your opponent to fold a hand like queen-ten offsuit when you three-bet queen-nine suited out of the big blind. If you had just called, you would have went into the flop with a hand that is dominated. If the flop comes queen-high, you're bound to lose at least two, maybe three bets. Instead, you just take the pot down preflop, and that is a huge win for you. All right, Gary, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about big blind versus small blind three betting, which is a little bit more unique, so hop into it. Yeah, so big blind versus small blind three betting is genuinely great fun, and our three bet range is really wide. When the small blind opens, we are supposed to three bet with lots of weird and wonderful hands like king six offsuit, 10 do suited, ace three offsuit, 10 seven offsuit, and so on. Again, people call too much with these hands, and it's really important we find these low frequency three bets. Think about just how wide the small blind is opening and how wide the small blind has to fold because they're out of position. As Mike has just said, think about the equity denial that we generate with a solid three bet strat here and just how often we make a better hand fold. Case in point, when the small blind opens ace eight offsuit and we three bet ace deuce offsuit or 10 deuce suited, we're making the better hand and many others fold immediately, which is great for us. I want to stress these hands are not high frequency three bets but they're not never three bets either. It's really important we find them at some frequency. Quick side note, we covered three betting from the big blind in our last episode, which is all about three betting in general. Check that out if you want to learn more on that topic. All right, we'll put a bow on this episode by covering multi-way big blind defense, which is a huge leak for most poker players. How should players adjust when faced with a raise and one or more calls, Gary? 
insanely differently and i mean insanely differently people call way too wide in this spot and that's because they just don't know any better we want to be defending much tighter and folding a bunch of hands that we would normally be calling heads up we really focus on folding hands that were maybe dominated versus one player but are very very often dominated versus two players let's get specific suppose the player in middle position raises and the button calls how much should your defense range change with that player in between you and the razor Let's name some specific combos now. Hands like Jack-9 offsuit, King-10 offsuit, Jack-7, Queen-5, 10-4 suited. They're all either 100% folds or occasional folds now. We really want to focus on how dominated our top pairs will be. Think about Jack-6 suited. MP is opened, button is called, and you think you're getting a really good price. But this hand is so dominated by MP's opening range, and the button's calling range has so much ace-jack, king-jack, queen-jack, and jack-10. We're now just super dominated by both players. Interestingly, a hand like 5-3 suited becomes really nice for us to call with because our pair and two pair outs are really undominated. One last thing I'll say is that some people think they're getting a really good price and they call with a bunch of junk like 8-deuce, ace-3 offsuit, king-6 offsuit, all these types of hands, but this is a big flaw in the thought process and we actually want to go the other way and call much tighter. Yeah, and those people are right. They are getting a really good price to call. The problem is they need an even better price to call because they're not going to realize equity very well with those hands that are often dominated. And they have reverse implied odds, which technically makes them realize even less equity. So yeah, you want to put a big focus on calling with hands that don't share cards with the opening range and the calling range. 5-3 suited, 5-4 suited, stuff like that. Perfect example. And just to be clear, you do still want to call with hands that can make the nuts or the near nuts relatively easily. There's a big difference between calling a hand like King Deuce suited or a hand like Ten Deuce suited. Ten Deuce makes the Ten high flush, but King Deuce can make the King high flush, which is the virtual nuts on a variety of runouts. So yes, with King Deuce, your top pair is dominated, but that is balanced by the fact that you can make the second nut flush. Whereas Ten Deuce, that balance isn't anywhere near as worthwhile because your Ten high flush can often be dominated by other flushes. Yeah, so in multiway pots, you put a really big focus on hands that play well multiway, hands that can easily make very strong hands and cooler your opponent in a three or four way pot. That's what you really got to focus on when there are multiple players in there. I want to make one quick note about big blind defense in tournaments specifically. All of the examples and ranges we talked about today assume you're playing in a cash game with no ante, but in tournaments, the presence of the ante drastically improves your pot odds, so you get to play a good bit looser out of the big blind. Against a cutoff min-raise, for example, you'll see the world's best tournament players defending trashy-looking hands like King 2 off or 9-3 suited. This is partially because of those improved pot odds that the ante provides. Additionally, when you have a sub-30 big blind stack, as you often do in tournaments, your hands tend to realize more of their equity. This is because it's tougher for your opponent to blow you off marginal hands and draws when you have so few chips behind. These two factors allow you to play looser, so if you're a tournament player, look to play a few extra hands out of the big blind compared to the example ranges Gary and I discussed throughout this episode. Alright, now you know how to make more money with your big blind defense strategy. If you really want to upgrade your poker skills, head over to UpswingPoker.com and join the Upswing Lab training course and community. Talented poker pros like Gary have been adding learning modules, preflop charts, and resources to that course every week for the past six years, and you get instant access to all of it when you join. Gary has already released several modules, including one that's a three-plus-hour lesson on how to crush soft live cash games. That's something that'll be very useful to most people listening right now. 
He's also covered check raising from the big blind in a three-plus-hour module, and that one pairs really well with the first episode of this podcast. Speaking of this podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, share it on social media, hit the like button, whatever platform you're listening on, engage with it somehow, help us out, we'd really appreciate it, and we will see you in the next one.